All right, turn into Mark chapter 7. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Now, the last few weeks we've been focusing on Jesus calling his first disciples. We looked at a couple different uh, rehearsals of what that looked like. And then we saw that he was also calling us to be disciples, and then disciples tend to make disciples. So we are supposed to, by obeying his great commission to go, as we're going, make disciples. Or, as we studied last week, to become fishers of men. That that is what we are about. That that we ought to be able to look at everything that we do in our lives, every decision that we make. We ought to be able to funnel it through the understanding that we're supposed to be used by God to draw people to Christ. That's our mission here. We're all missionaries on a fishing expedition. We've also studied often, and we, we looked at the, the idea that love is the mark of the Christian, the mark of the Christian community. The evidence that it's true is the love that we have for each other. And then we've also looked at the sin that hinders that love from flowing up to God and to each other. And so there's a variety of connections. I could go on for 15 minutes on how the Holy Spirit connected all this. But thankfully, by Monday morning, I was already praying. I, I always pray after I preach Sunday, give me what's for next week. And by Monday morning in my devotions, the Holy Spirit made it clear that, that I ought to preach on this passage here. And before, well, well, first of all, before we study deeply 14 through 23, let's look at the beginning of the chapter Chapter 7, verse 1. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around Jesus when they had come from Jerusalem. So let's talk for a moment about, because we need to understand this background in order to uh, appreciate the essence of what Jesus is teaching here. So who are the scribes and Pharisees? What do you know about them? Both of them were experts in the law. They understood the Old Testament. They knew it very well. Some of them, I'm told, had it memorized, the entire Old Testament. So they understood it. The scribes were experts in the law who carefully transcribed or wrote out on parchment both the Old Testament law and the traditions that had been handed down to them from the elders, which you'll hear about in a moment. So that was their job. They're just religious people doing they're in church all the time. The Pharisees were a sect of lay people who had banded together and determined that we are going to obey God's law to the letter and keep each other accountable for that. So they're the, the most religious of people. And because both were experts in the law, that kind of is why these two groups overlap and you see them grouped together sometimes like here. So the Pharisees and some of the scribes. So they came from Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. 
They had seen some of Jesus' disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. They hadn't washed their hands before they ate. Okay. Verse 3, 4, The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the, note this, the tradition of the elders. Now the Old Testament certainly said we shouldn't eat anything impure or unclean. So then they made up rules of their own to make sure they protected the rules that were in the commandments. So that, that's where the traditions came in. Traditions of the elders. Verse 4. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received from the elders in order to observe, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, copper pots, etc. And the Pharisees and the scribes then asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? Now Jesus knew that they had missed the point. So in verse 6, he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, for it is written, This people honors me with their lips. Now that means in their outward behavior, what they say and what they do. But their their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me. So all of their worship and all of their going to church and all of their giving tithing money and all of that, Jesus says, is in vain. That's a warning for us today. Why? What's the issue? Teaching as doctrine the precepts of men, man-made rules. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So that's really the essence of it. And what we want to get after this morning, number one, is to understand the basic concept here. Now before we get to verse 14... Let me just read to you quickly from Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, because this, Jesus teaches the same thing. He just does it in a really effective way for me. So let me read it to you. Jesus said, and this is what I demonstrated to the kids, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. The inside is known by what people see on the outside. He doesn't mince any words. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you, being, and he's talking to Pharisees, how can you, being evil, so the tree is evil, speak what is good? Rhetorical question, you can't, because the inside isn't good. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man, out of his good treasure, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of his evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless or useless or rotten word that men shall speak shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified. By your words you shall be condemned. Why? Because your words reveal your heart. And God judges the heart. So keep that in mind now. Let's, you're in Mark chapter 7. Let's go to verse 14. And after he called the multitudes to him again, he had this conversation, this debate with the 
confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees. Then he caused the multitude to him. And he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Now he uses the word understand three times. That's why I've chosen it for the outline. We need to understand, and that is a mind word. So where is the playground of Satan? In the human mind. Where is the battleground for us? It's in our minds. Jesus says, I want you to understand this, so listen to me, all of you. I agree with my seminary professor, James Brooks, in his commentary. He said the heart, we're going to talk a lot about that today. The heart is a symbol of the rational, intellectual, and decision-making element of the human being. And it is not the emotional, affectionate element. Now, I would say, because typically we think of the heart as the, the center of our mind, will, and emotion. And the good contrast there is the way heart is used in our culture today, right? What, is, what do they mean when they say, follow your heart? What are they saying? Follow your emotions. Follow your desires. Apart from the intellect, a lot of times it's don't think too much. That's not the biblical meaning of heart. The main facet of the heart is our mind. And I also agree with J.C. Ryle when he said, Every man has within him the root of every sin. Verse 15, there is nothing, here's what we need to understand, this concept. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him, can make him unclean ceremonially, but deeper morally. It cannot make us dirty by coming in from the outside. Dirty in God's eyes, sinful. But the things which proceed out of the man or the woman or child are what defile him. Verse 16, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. So then when leaving the multitude, he entered the house where he was staying presumably and his disciples questioned him about the parable. Now Jesus is a little bit surprised that they don't already understand this. Um, But I think the disciples here can be a good example for us, a positive example for us. Do you understand everything? No. You would think after preaching as long as I have and studying the Bible as long as I have, that I would understand everything. Not close. The closer you get to God, the more you realize you don't understand. And so the best thing to do if you don't understand is what? If you ever teach a class and they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, what, what, what should you say? Should you pretend you know the answer to it? No. Just admit you don't know the answer and you're going to check it out. Similarly, if you don't know, you don't know it till you know it and you don't know it till you do it. So if we aren't doing it, we need to go to Jesus and just say, explain that to me. Help me understand. So they do. Verse 18. And he said to them, are you so lacking in what? Understanding. Is your mind, you still don't connect the dots rightly in your mind, right? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it doesn't go into his heart? It goes into his stomach, then it's eliminated. And thus, total side note, he declared all foods clean. So if you're living today, some 
Christians believe that we need to follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament. That's, I don't think that's biblical. My personal conviction would be the ham I ate in the soup last night is okay. Okay, it's okay to eat pork now. And that's a whole other discussion. But Jesus clearly fulfilled all of that. So we are not obligated to follow all of the Old Testament commandments. They were fulfilled in Christ. So that, but that's a side note. Let's get back to the main issue in verse 20. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. So do you think you basically understand the concept? In order to really understand it, we have to understand what is behind it. Understand the command that is at play here. What does God command us? That is the overarching background for this. And it's right here. Look up above it, 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the issue. Peter wrote, As obedient children, do not be conformed, pressed into the mold of, do not be conformed to the former lusts or desires. That word is epithemia. It simply means desire. Don't be pressed into a form by the things that you used to desire which were yours in your ignorance. That's before you came to Christ, before you understood this stuff. Or it's any of us before we get it. We're in our ignorance. Don't be conformed to that. But, like the Holy One who called you, be holy, be pure, be morally absolutely pure. Like the One who called you, be holy yourselves in, again, how much of your behavior? You know, all of us are, if you're a Christian, you're becoming more and more holy. You're becoming more like Jesus all the time. But there's a whole bunch of stuff probably in your life that you're still hold, that we're still holding on to that we haven't been purified from yet. But Peter, this is the goal. This is the overarching background commandment. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Why? Because it is written. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So we're being transformed into the image of Christ, who is the Son of God. So we're, be, we're being continuously sanctified and purified so that we can become... Ab- but that's the goal, is absolute purity of heart. What will happen when my heart is pure? I'll be happy because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? They shall see God. There won't be things there or as much stuff there that prevents the light of God to come into my heart through my eyes. That's all just physical symbolism for his truth coming into my heart and cleansing me. Okay. Now we understand the commandment. We understand the basic concept, what's inside is going to come out. It isn't the stuff on the outside that makes us unclean. We'll we'll flesh out the concept a little more in a moment. But first, understanding the overarching command, we have to understand the corruption. Look at verse 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed thee, and then there's a whole list of stuff here. Some of them are plural, some of them are singular. Some of them are actions, some of them are attitudes. And I'm only going to briefly mention them today. 
But I hope that as we talk about some of this stuff, that you'll come to the place where you're looking into your own life, you're looking in the mirror with the vanity lights that Jesus is shining, and you're able to make your own list, or you're able to see how this list applies to your life. So the first one is evil thoughts. And I think that's, he's saying like evil thoughts. And then I I think the rest of them, because they all fall into evil thoughts. So I think they're just kind of like, like these. And he gives us a whole bunch of them. Because again, he's talking about understanding something. The sin in our hearts is in our mind. The desires are in our minds. They're not just something we just feel apart from our brains. And our rational uh, deliberating things. So, evil thoughts. We'll come back to that a lot in a book in a little bit. So, here are some of the evil thoughts. First of all, fornications. Yours might say sexual immorality. The the Greek word is porneia. What do we get from that? It's all various kinds of extramarital sexual activity or thinking. Okay, so anything that is perverse regarding that sexuality that doesn't line up with how God has ordained it in the Bible, anything. So that's our thought. Uh, You don't have to use your imagination too much. And there's probably a lot of people in here this morning who struggle deeply with this. And you may have struggled deeply with this for many, 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 many years. And this is an area nobody else can see it. But it's there. And it's debilitating. It's, it, it harms relationships. It harms your marriage. It does. You don't think it does. You don't think it's so bad. But it does. And so that, that's all covered under porneo. Then there's theft or, uh, yeah, basically, obviously, that's self-explanatory, stealing stuff. Murders, that's pretty self-explanatory. Except Jesus, you know, takes us to the heart of all these things. We don't have to physically kill somebody to murder them. All we have to do is, is say something bad about them, which is covered under slander in just a little bit. Right? We can murder people in our hearts. Adulteries, now that one is a little more specific with with uh, someone that is married. Deeds of coveting, or that's greed in some of your versions. That's just trying to get more for myself. I just want more and more and more. Wickedness, that uh, some say malice. It's doing evil in spite of, even if that other person has been pretty good to you, you're still evil toward them. Uh, deceit. Obviously, sensuality, kind of, that would fall under, it's lewdness, it's any immoral behavior that would fit in with porneia. Um, envy, oh, this, this is icky. It's just looking at other people, judging the outside of them by the inside of myself, and wanting what they have. And that, that might not be their husband or their wife, or their, it might be their car, might be their lifestyle, might be what you perceive that they have all their stuff together. It might be something else that you just feel you deserve. And, uh, oh, it's 
prevalent, pervasive sin that can be in our hearts. Slander is, is blasphemia, blaspheme. It's, when it's vertical, it's saying something that would denigrate God. Horizontally, it's saying something that would hurt somebody else, make somebody else think less of them because you think little of them. That's slander, using your tongue for that purpose. Pride, which is just a puffing ourselves up of bigger than we really are, and causing us then to look down upon other people and miss the whole point of Jesus' commandment here. Pride, the, the source of much of our, if not all, of our sin. And then uh, folly, the last one, foolishness. The inability to discern between morality and immorality, between right and wrong, between what's biblical, what's not biblical, what's Christ's mind like and what do I think like. When you can't tell the difference between all that stuff, you're a fool. You're acting like a fool. Verse 23, all these evil things, back to the concept, proceed from within. And they are the things that are sinful, therefore defiling us with God and setting up a barrier between us and God. All right? Now here's a couple verses that I find so helpful in this discussion, and I just commend them to you for, your, for memorization. If I were you, I would memorize these, and I'll show you why. First of all, from James 1, 14 and 15. This is the process of sin. But each one is tempted when they are carried away and enticed by what? By, by that thing I just saw? Be careful here. This, this gets so deep. And really think about this. Is it the commercial and the thing I saw? Whether it's you're, you're envying the car, you wish you could drive that car or that pickup, or it falls under pornea or sensuality or adultery or whatever else, that thing that catches your eye and is visually similar, is that the problem? That's not the problem. A person can look, it's just like, that's why we have to be so careful with legislating morality, not, not, not in the, just in our own hearts, saying, well, I don't go to this rated movie. And if you go to that rated movie, then you're, that's a sin. I, I would say that that's a sin. Wait a minute. That person could go to that rated movie, see the same image that you see, that cause, and you end up sinning in it. They might not even sin in it at all. Because that does not defile us. The defilement comes from within. Now, certainly certain things can stimulate certain desires in us. And this covers all of these areas, not just the one you think of when we say lust. It covers all of these areas. If you're just jealous of that other family or that other marriage or that other person, for whatever reason, you're envious or you covet all of these things. They're, they're things in our hearts that can be stimulated by the outward situation. But do you see what I'm saying? Be careful. Don't be, we, we are so quick to say, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's sin. And if you engage in any of these kinds of activities, then you, no. It's here than what these various many, many, many things 
can stimulate in me, then I've got to do this. I've got to understand that each one is, tempt, is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own loss, his own desire for something. Then it's a process. This is why we've got to nip it in the bud, and I'm going to give you some ideas of how to do that before we're done here. Because when lust is conceived, if you let it keep going down that slippery slope, it, it picks up speed. It's way, harder to, it's way harder to nip this a minute from now than it is right now. And that's why I believe, just personal side note, when people say, well, Jesus was tempted so much more intensely than any of us because he never gave in, and so therefore I don't agree with that. I don't agree that Jesus experienced the, the, the intensity that I experienced because I believe Jesus nipped it in the bud right away because he never sinned even when he didn't to let it keep going as a sin so he never let it get that far that's what i just believe i just believe that jesus had such command in his sinless mind that he was able to just shut it off right now that's what i believe but if you don't do that then Lust conceives, gives birth to sin. Sin is accomplished. It brings forth death. When it is lived out, then it's going to really damage your marriage. It's going to really damage your relationship with your kids. Really damage whatever. Get you fired. Whatever. You see, it, it brings forth some kind of death. And then now, now go to, this is in James chapter 4, where James asked the question, what is the source of all the quarrels and the conflicts among you? Here's the answer. Is not the source? So this is a rhetorical question. This is the source. Your pleasures, little different word, that wage war in your members. Note that phrase, wage war in your members. You lust or you desire, back to epithemia, you desire something and you don't get it, so what do you do? You lash out. You commit murder. It's their fault. I can now I'll start saying stuff about them to justify myself. So I want to hold on to this thing because I'm envious or I'm coveting or I'm whatever. But it is a war. And that Peter, I love this, he uses almost identical language. Beloved, I urge you, you're aliens and you're strangers on this earth, so don't, buy, don't be conformed to the desires of this world. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and stranger to abstain from, I'm, I'm going to give you an idea of how to do that, stay away from, abstain from that fleshly desire that wages war, same thing. It's a, how many of you think you're in a war with this stuff? This is a war. It's a series of battles that goes on every day, all day. Right? If you don't think this is a war, then Satan has you on your... You're already pinned. The match is over. If, you don't, if you're not engaged in a war, I think you're just insensitive. And you possibly are justifying yourself by thinking, well, I believe in God and I go to church and I have this list of pharisaical, I have the list of the tradition of the elders and I do all those things. And therefore, I'm okay. And, it's, and well, so what? Men are men and they think this way and women you know, tend to do this and that. And then you just rationalize the stuff that's in your heart. But if you're dealing with this seriously, if you're a serious disciple of Jesus who is going after it, 
you're in a war, aren't you? It is a, it's hard. Peter says it. James says it. It's the way it is. Paul says it. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. This is a spiritual war for your heart, for your holiness, for and, and the fruit that can be born out of a pure heart which will make our witness more effective, make us more effective for Jesus in our fishing expedition. See how all this all just, ooh, just ties together. Okay. Time for a commercial. I'm open to the possibility that you have, you can do this without this. I'm open to that possibility. The initial audience For all the letters of the Bible, they did not all have a copy of the Bible in their hands. They didn't have 50 of them in church. They just had the parchments that the rabbis read from. That's all they had. So it took a while. So so it's possible. It's possible for us to be made holy without doing this. But if you've got a hammer, why would you continue to try to drive a nail with an inferior tool? We have our Bibles. They're just a wonderful tool for us. And I, so I'm just, that's the method that God's using in my life. So I just, and I know it works in other people's lives, so I keep recommending it to you. I don't know what else I can do. But I think it's a helpful thing. So now let's talk about undertaking the correction. In the Great Commission that we looked at last week, Jesus' final words to his disciples as he stood on the mountain, he was going to ascend. Remember what he said? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, go. As you're going, it's a participle, as you're going, verb, make disciples. You're all on a fishing trip, right? You're all on a fishing expedition. That's our job. That's our job description. Fish and men. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. Another participle. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's what you do. The next participle is teaching. Teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you. The things in the bullseye. The commands of Christ. That's what we're devoted to. So what I'm supposed to do, part of my job is to teach you to do what he has commanded us. And so what I'm going to offer to you now is simply for your consideration. It helps me. It's what I do. For you, you might do something else that's more effective for you. Great. This might confirm what you're already doing in your life. Great. It might give you some ideas. Well, I don't like that one, but I like this one. I could, I could relate more to it this way. So however God wants to use this, I want to just offer to you an idea. Okay? In order to undertake correction and learn how to actually do what he teaches us to do, which is to be holy. First thing we have to do is repent. As we studied last week, remember, repentance means to what? Can anybody answer that one correctly? What does repentance mean? What's that? 
Change your mind. Good. Now, you're not, you, some of you today, I believe, to some degree or another, as I've alluded to already, are living with a sin. You're living in a sin. You are enslaved to a sin that probably falls somehow into this, these categories we have here. And you're not able to break it. Okay? Pray for God to change your mind. Pray for God to show you that that's not as good as you think it is. That there are more consequences in your life than you think there are. Just pray to God, show me, Lord. If you want to be like Jesus and you want to be holy and you want to experience the freedom that comes from holiness in an area in your life, if you want to be set free from that, whatever it is in your life, I hope you have a list Years ago, I came up with a list. I preached it on some New Year's Sundays. The seven deadly sin struggles that I have come to in my own life, and I think everybody else, they're all the the same general stuff. But I came up with this is helpful for me so that I can periodically assess. I can sit with Jesus, turn the vanity lights on, look in the mirror, and say, this week, I went through it again. I mean, I do it regularly, but... Just about the time you start thinking you're doing pretty good, go through your list. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, I'm not so good on that one. Oh, I guess I am not so great on that one. But here are my seven deadly sin struggles. First one is, it's, it's, I, it's all alphabetical. And they all begin with the letter T. So time. The, the first year are not alphabetical. Time, talent, and treasure. Am I managing my time like we studied last week? Am I redeeming the opportunity? Am I seizing the moment? Am I living for God? And everything I do, my talent, am I using my giftedness, my talents, am I cultivating them to be used by God? Time, talent, treasure. What about my finances? Am I spending the money just on me? Am I trying to live so that I can have my... And I give a little to church too, but, but basically it's my money. Or do I see it as God's money? And then I tithe to the church and the work of Christ. And I everything, every penny should be... I should be able to justify everything I spend as that's how God wants me to manage his money. Time, talent, treasure. My temper. Am I, when I get angry about stuff, what's in my heart? Am I angry because it's righteous indignation or am I angry because I'm not getting my way? My temper, my temple, my body. Am I taking care of my body? God made me. God gave me this body. I want to be as healthy as I can for as long as he has me on this earth. Am I being a good steward of my physical body? Temper. Temple. Thought life. That's what this morning's all about. My thought life. How am I doing? And I'll give you a tool in just a moment. And then finally, my tongue. Because as James says, your tongue tells it all. Your tongue tells exactly what's in your heart. Come up with your own list. If you don't like that one, come up, but come be praying, be interacting with God's word on a regular basis enough so that he says to you, hey, that's you. That is how you are. That is what is in your heart. And then as I go out through life, then he shows me all day long how that's what's in my heart. 
and how he wants me to deal with it. So pray for repentance, that your mind changes about all this stuff. And then finally, I'm watching a lot of basketball right now. It's that season of the year. If a player's not doing what's going to help the team and win the game, what happens? Boom, substitution. Get, you're out. If the player does something that, that hurts somebody else or really is flagrant, where do they go? Out of the gym. They're ejected. And I want to just offer, the, once again, I've mentioned it one other time, but this idea of substitution, I have found this so helpful in my own life that I want to offer it to you. Some people call it re, the replacement theory. But here's what I've been doing. When a thought comes into my mind, I let the peace of Christ umpire in my heart. When he blows his whistle and I'm, my, my thought is just veering off a little bit, what I've been saying is substitute. Get rid of that when you're out of here. That's not a godly thought. That is not the way God wants your heart to be. And I just substitute enough. For me, you might substitute something different. For me, I just say, it's just as a default, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it's hallelujah. I think God gave us that word as the most instinctive default place to go is just hallelujah, hallelujah. You start praising the Lord, then all of a sudden your eyes go off of this and you start looking at that and you start looking around yourself and you start seeing the beauty of God's creation and you start seeing the good and just hallelujah, hallelujah. Just replace that thought with something like hallelujah or thank you, thank you, Lord. Just go through a list of things to be thankful for. And just always, so it's not, it's like sitting there, don't think about a white elephant. Don't think about a white elephant. You're not doing that. You're just thinking about this that we're supposed to be thinking about, like Philippians tells us, 4.8. I'm almost done. Philippians 4.8. This verse proves that we can control our thoughts. And I, and I qualify that with God's help. So whenever I say we can control, I mean with God, the Holy Spirit working in us. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's a commandment. Think about these things. We can choose what we're going to think about. We don't choose it when we're in the monkey cage and a bad thought comes in or a memory comes in or, or something. No, we don't control that, but we can control what we do next. And I offer to you the idea of substitution. Substitute it. And but your last thing on your outline is that acronym that I use. If I'm like, is this a good thought or bad? Is the, Am I really analyzing something here or am I right on the edge of a sinful thought. Then you can use Philippians 4.8 as a gauge. You can say, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good repute? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? You've got to memorize that verse in order to do that. So the word of God hidden in your heart will keep you from sinning. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. All these verses I've given you today were excellent, would be excellent ones for you to memorize this year. Because God will use them. Okay. So, just to bring it right home, 
Look for the religious rituals in your life that are not in the bullseye. They're either your personal convictions or your personal preferences. Look for those things. And beware, and it could just be your moral list of, I don't go to those kinds of movies, and I don't play cards, and I don't dance, and I don't drink, and I don't do this, and that, therefore I'm good. Look for those things. And beware of the pride of judgmentalism toward others who have different convictions than you do. And look for the understanding of this concept that it is all in me. And I can I gotta stop blaming the things that stimulate these desires, and I gotta start blaming my obedience to my desires. Now we've identified the source of sin, I believe. And the only solution for sin is forgiveness and eradication. So as we come to communion today, will you please, as you meditate, we're going to meditate for a moment or two before, will you just bow your heads with me? And will you pray to God to grant you repentance for anything that you have become aware of this morning or you're still not aware of? Ask him to help you. Pray for repentance and pray for help in substituting good, pure thoughts for evil ones. By the power of the Holy Spirit, And then as you take communion, let's remember the death of Jesus, the propitiation for our sins, the substitution for our sins, and the forgiveness that we can have through him. You can be completely forgiven for everything today, and you can start fresh.